This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. We've been obviously signaling for some time about the issues around New Year's Eve and around the holiday season. So I don't think this uh, came out of the blue in that respect. And uh, we were looking for ways to do it that address the issue that, uh, that we have been seeing continuously. And the, the issue really is that later in the evening when people are, are drinking a fair amount, um, we tend to see groups getting together and it being very difficult to maintain the, the COVID safety plans in those uh, situations. Good morning and Happy New Year. Welcome to 2021. That was Dr. Bonnie Henry yesterday responding to reporters asking her why the very sudden last minute move to essentially pull the rug out from under the uh, the uh, dining and restaurant industry by closing alcohol sales at eight o'clock on New Year's Eve. Well, it, it turns out that uh, by and large, they were successful in terms of large gatherings, at least uh, on the streets of the big cities. We haven't heard of any. But of course, the ripple effect into the restaurant industry will be felt for quite some time to come. And to just talk about that briefly and and to say Happy New Year, is Ian Tostenson, who is the CEO of the BC Restaurant Association. Ian, good morning, welcome back, and Happy New Year. Well, thank you, and Happy New Year to you as well, Sterling. It's nice nice to be back. Well, it's good to have you with us. So we talked a little bit yesterday about the the sudden nature and how uh, uh, how so many people in the business were essentially caught off guard by that 11th hour announcement. Dr. Henry, in her statement yesterday, responding to reporters asking why so why so last minute, basically said, you should have seen it coming. And I don't no, think it is. Yeah, no, I know. I, I mean, she's when she said we're telegraphing this, um, she should have been straight with the industry. It cost a whole bunch of businesses a lot of money last night in lost sales and also lost uh, our cost as they prepared for last night. Now we saw, I have some numbers this morning. I mean, some restaurants did fine if they were, you know, closing early anyways, but the ones that had a second serving uh, or a second sitting, sure. uh, basically, were, you know, they lost about 40 to 70% of that, of that potential for that second sitting. And that's what the problem was. So today, they're left with, you know, they're still bewildered on how Dr. Henry, who's been so cooperative with this industry, could have dropped that bomb on us, you know, less than 24 hours beforehand. I guess, though, when they sit back in hindsight, which is always 2020, they will say, okay, it was a minor inconvenience for the restaurant industry for one night, but in terms of accomplishing the public health goal of reducing occasions for people to gather, we probably did all right. That's the way that they're going to analyze it when they sit around the big table in the boardroom over the next few weeks. Right, and if they had, we had, you know, a, a discussion. I mean, we have, a, you know, we have this this working group of restaurants in British Columbia that guide a lot of these things, um, they would have they would have done an amazing job if given the challenge by Dr. Henry, how do we, you know, how do we accomplish the important health uh, goals and how do we uh, make sure that you guys um, can provide a good product for New Year's Eve? And uh, that would have been fine. We would, have, we, would have, we would have adjusted. We probably would have agreed to 8 o'clock closures and everybody would have been planned and we would have still got the the health outcomes that I think um, we, we it looks like we got from last night, which is important. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that uh, that aside, and uh, that was accomplished, although, however, brusquely. Uh, and and I, I talked to a couple of MLAs about this yesterday, both opposition guys. And I'll put it to you straight up this morning. Does the government, in lieu of what you just described, for example, the money invested and completely lost on the second sittings and so on, because of the short nature, because of the fact that they had they been notified even slightly more in advance, purchasing and acquisition plans would have been altered. And a lot less money would have been invested in something that turns out not to be not to happen. So does the, the government have a duty of compensation? Well, I do believe they do. Certainly uh, when it comes to returning alcohol, we can we can affect that one. I, I thought about that. Certainly, I don't know whether we could ever get that, that the objective number on that. But I think, you know, we're going to start today to see what what that looks like in terms of you know, uh, taking some averages and see what that number is and put it to the government. They have to understand that, you know, I mean, we've had this, we have a great relationship with them, but they have to understand those arbitrary decisions. It didn't have to be arbitrary. It could have been made a couple of weeks beforehand. Mm-hmm. And and they said, and we would have had way better results. So will they? I don't think they will. Would Could we ever uh, tally up the damages? I don't know, but we're going to find out. And then we're going to see, I guess what's, what will happen now is all the excess that we have, what can we do in terms of our communities or sure. or food banks or anything else we can do to, to sort of help out here? And I guess the takeaway from this all is particularly on the part of the government and the public health officials that if you're going to to do anything as dramatic as this, and they, they will look back, I'm sure, and say, yeah, it worked. It was a little, uh, a little unsettling, et cetera, yep. but it worked. So the lesson, the takeaway, hopefully, Ian, is next time you're trying to you want to pull something like this, for goodness sake, get all the stakeholders around the table. Exactly. It's not like we're a, a company that's going to go public and we, that we can't tell anybody. The, you know, the public are quite prepared to deal with their responsibility in this pandemic, and so is this industry. And it's, you're right, that is, you know, a couple of weeks out would have been great, and I think we'll get there. I think that Dr. Henry was signaling yesterday, you know, she's a little defensive about this whole yeah, thing. Yeah, well. And, you know, it wasn't... And, and, you know, understand it's not about us wanting to stay open. It's just simply how it was handled. It wasn't the outcome so much. So, yeah, I think that's that's the lesson to learn here for sure. And hopefully it, it, it happens. Ian, i got to leave it there because uh, in the interest of time, but I thank you for yours, especially first thing on New Year's Day. My gosh, what a trooper you are. <laughs> and, uh, I know. It said 9 o'clock or 11, I thought, early, but I haven't got any numbers. But I think I think basically the numbers were pretty were pretty dull last night, so... But uh, if I can get some numbers and I'll feed them into before you're off the air, I'll let you, I'll let you know. Oh, excellent. Well, Sarah will be uh, anxious to hear them. So just fire them off to her if you get any more as the show goes forward. Ian, thanks for this. Thanks, Sterling. All the best. And welcome back and Happy New Year. Sterling Fox filling in for Mike Smith for the last day. Mike will be back on Monday morning. All fresh and ready to go after a nice long holiday break. Lindsay Meredith is Professor Emeritus of Marketing at the Beattie School of Business at Simon Fraser, a much-published author. He's a consultant to governments and multinationals. He talks economics a lot, and he's here to talk to us this morning about, uh, well, the prospects for retail in 2021 based on some pretty game-changing lessons we've learned in 2020. Dr. Meredith, Lindsay, good morning and happy New Year. And to you too, Sterling. 
It's great to have you back with us, Lindsay. We haven't talked on the radio for quite some time. The first time you and I had this discussion, believe it or not, was about 12 years ago on a television show I hosted called The Money and Wealth Show, and you were a guest, and we began a discussion then that continues to this moment about the demise of brick-and-mortar retail, and even a dozen years ago, Lindsay, you were recognizing the, the potential of online retail versus brick and mortar. And boy, you you were saying things 12 years ago that has just, it's you keep being proven right, darn it. Well, you've got a good memory, my friend. I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, that is that is correct. I mean, this, this beast has been coming for a long time. Yeah. I think the biggest change now uh, that I can see, Sterling, is that it got accelerated uh, greatly by COVID. Um, it would have continued to un- unroll the way it was, a-, a long, steady progression toward more of an online world, except COVID put everything into, into hyperdrive. It sure and, did, didn't it? It really yeah, changed the a lot. Yeah, thing is exactly that now. So let's talk a little bit about uh, 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 the, uh, again, just, just taking a look at some of the numbers, Lindsay, and they're really fresh from just this Christmas and this, you know, Boxing Day and the, the amount that uh, Canadians and individuals shopped and, and put out and how they shopped this Christmas and the pro- pro- the proliferation of those delivery vehicles all over the city. It, it COVID has really, as Keith described it politically a few moments ago, economically, it's as much as that as a game changer hasn't it been oh totally and you're you're dead on i i, I swear the uh the delivery vehicles are wearing a hole in, in the middle of my street they're just <laughs> a constant flow up and down it is and, quite uh, something it is truly uh it's the kind of thing that uh if somebody had said to you you know two or three years ago even this is how it's going to unfold you'd probably be shaking your head saying you know what have you been smoking it's uh, it's just a different world completely it and is regrettably i mean <clears throat> There are a lot of casualties as well. That's the sad part. Well, you know, it is. And, and we, uh, our, our producer, uh, Sarah Hyde, put together a list or sent us a list of, of some of the, the iconic brand names, Lindsay, that have gone down or disappeared uh, in the past 12 months. And some of their um, are big Canadian well-known names like Le Chateau and Swimco and, and Carlton yeah. Cars and Moors, the suit people. These are really well-known brands and for many Canadians, very affordable brands. Well, that's a really good point you're on to again, because um, if you look at that shopping list of the, the who's who of the, new, of the, the, the lately dead, um, what you start to see are, you know, the absence of the absence on the bottom end. You're not seeing the dollar stores going down. You're not seeing mm. our, our friends at Walmart taking the hit. At the top end, the Nordstroms aren't closing, but that middle group that you're referring to have really been taking a beating and that's that's where you're seeing the casualty count especially um along with that shopping list name uh some names sarah came up with um awful lot of fashion retailers involved in that list as well sure so you know those guys really really got nailed um basically a lot of the casualties are are what we call victims of of what we refer to as indirect substitutes all that means fancy academic talk sterling all it means is somebody produces a product that does the same thing as your product, except they do somehow do it a little differently mm-hmm. or they do it more cheaply. And what you see happen is our friends at Amazon and then the Walmarts of this world and 
oh God, so Shopify's the list gets endless. Yeah. All of these guys have managed to get into the retail business without all the, <clears throat> without all the cost of bricks and mortar. Indeed. And if anything, you know, you take a look at, uh, you talk about an iconic brand, especially for those of us here in Vancouver. They don't come any more than Mountain Equipment Co-op. And I think, uh, you know, they had their own internal management uh, structure issues in terms of acquiring uh, uh, too much, maybe, and and, uh, especially on the real estate end. But at the same time, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. They came to be the place for people who are outdoorsy to go for the very best best stuff to be an outdoors person with and then all of a sudden they their competitors online became equally popular and much cheaper and ultimately mountain equipment co-op is no more yeah you got the key part of it and that's the it's the price point and the target market they're serving is still a price sensitive uh although some would argue a little less so but nevertheless a price sensitive target market and those high prices at MEC versus what was showing up on the uh, on the web just spelled the, poor, the, the death knell for poor old MEC. There was no way they were competing on those prices, and they were not making the transition onto the web themselves so that they were able to change their spots, if you will, and keep competing. Yeah, and of course, now that Mountain Equipment Co-op has not vanished completely. They've been purchased by a, a private firm uh, yeah. who they're, they're determined, or at least they seem to be determined, to keep as many of the the Mountain Equipment stores open as they can and retaining as many staff members as they can. But clearly, it's it's uh, it's not going to be a clean sweep. No, it sure isn't. Um, you know, they're going to do a little bit better than some of the other victims out there, mainly because... Um, well, they work with the kind of that middle class population. They are basically selling to um, a fairly well educated upper socioeconomic middle class crowd, a crowd that's got a little bit more money mm-hmm. and able to tolerate those higher prices a little bit better. Having said that, believe me, MEC got the message watch the prices because you're going to get strangled on them. You're, you're just too high. And it, again, your point there's too many competitors out there on the web, more than happy to eat your lunch with the. Uh, <laughs> Almost comparable quality, but much better price. Happy New Year. Sterling Fox in for Mike Smith on January the 1st. Joined on the line by Lindsay Meredith, Professor of Marketing from the BD School of Business at Simon Fraser University, talking about, well, the demise of brick-and-mortar retail. And if anything, COVID-19 has accelerated the process that began many, many years ago uh, to a, a, a murderous pace in many cases. And Lindsay, one of the big, iconic Canadian brands that has not survived COVID and uh, is likely, however, to return, this one surprised almost everyone Cirque du Soleil went out of business yeah that that one was a bit of a shock and it doesn't fit the model of of a standard retail type operation um now if I recall the Cirque was getting into a little bit of financial difficulty previously now it's a, a much better example I would think uh uh sterling of a pure COVID hit um, so, well, the, the others, some of, those are, some of the, the others are technological victims or technological slash COVID victims. Mm-hmm. This one is almost a pure COVID victim, I would think. Right. Um, will these guys come back? Yeah, I think they will. Um, look, is this going to go forever? No. Um, there are quite a number of vaccines on the horizon. And, well, things are still going to get much nastier yet. You know, hang on to your shirt. This is not over, my friends. For sure. Um, 
you're going to see guys like uh, the Cirque, uh, I think, eventually uh, reemerge when the dust settles. It was such a popular thing, and they're so good at what they do, Lindsay. But at the same time, if you can't gather under the big top, well, then there's no show, is there? Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose one could make an argument that that one possible morph over they might try is could they basically continue their show and move to a uh, a televised format mm-hmm. and then and then then use the web basically for for uh, displaying the, the the product that way. Um, again, that takes a fair amount of organization and. Uh, it takes a while to put all those pieces together and line them up if you're going to try that kind of a move. Um, it's the kind of thing that you're just not going to put together in an afternoon. It, it takes months and months and months to pull that stuff off. And regrettably, I think with their cash flow, they didn't have that kind of a cushion where they could afford to uh, drift along and, and pull that trick off. And, and it's so labor-intensive, all of those performers and all of the all of the rehearsal time and all the rest of it that it takes. And yes, and there are many, many of us, fans the world over, looking forward to the return of Cirque du Soleil. I want to pick up on something you mentioned a few moments ago, though, Professor Meredith, and that's this whole business of uh, the, the hardest hit in terms of especially technological change and, and uh, online overtaking physical in-store shopping. But you said at the beginning, hey, wait a second now, the dollar stores are still open and doing land office business. Nordstrom is still clicking right along. So at the bottom and the very top ends of retail, as in in in-store, go in there and buy stuff retail, they're still fine. Uh, Yeah, part of this is a big match between what does your target market look like in terms of money or lack of or lack of money, if you will. Mm -hmm. And um, what is what 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 kind of stuff do you have on offer that uh, that's going to appeal to them at the right price points. And those two crowds, they definitely work the top end and the, the lower end of the economic ladder, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, although if you start to look at the dollar stores, for example, and uh, you know, marketing professors love to study these things, you start watching, looking at the cars that are parked out front and the people walking in the door. I am very fascinated because I'm noticing the change in what I perceive to be the clientele walking through that door. Good point. I'm seeing a lot better off uh, financial status people walking through that front door. So even here, we're starting to see some changes. Uh, no question about that. Well, you know, so, I mean, these guys are done, you know, and the same in the United States. These, these stores have done extremely well through this COVID thing. Well, and we know, for example, that the average Canadian family in this new year of 2021, Lindsay, is going to be expected to pony up at least an extra $700 just to buy the same amount of groceries they bought last year. So as yeah. as food prices and other living costs continue to increase, uh, those bargain and price-sensitive uh, locations are looking more and more attractive all the time, aren't they? Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're hitting one of my... Uh Shall we say one of my sensitive, uh, my sensitive nerve points on a tooth here, and that is, I loved it when our government, Stats Canada, uh, the Bank of Canada, decided we weren't going to count gasoline and food prices uh, because those prices were too volatile to go into the consumer price index. Yeah. Well, yeah, you knock those out, and guess what? Turns out you don't have very much inflation. My problem is, you ever try telling that to your wallet? Right. Of course, yeah, yeah. It, it's it, you, uh, bank accounts don't respond to political rhetoric, do they? You got it, and um, you know, yes, you're going to see some very, very heavy because of, again, because of COVID, you are going to see some very, very um, heavy food price escalation. That supply chain is really taking a beating, and uh, again, 
there's going to be a whole rejigging from the 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 infrastructure of the economy um, where it starts to move back to saying things like, okay, maybe we better start producing a whole bunch more of that food closer to home. Maybe we better start producing a whole bunch more of those drugs back inside the country. Maybe we better look at very carefully at what kind of things we shop out to other countries in the world and what kind of stuff we say, look, we're just going to have to produce a lot more of that stuff right here. Yeah, independence. Um, There's a lot to be said for independence, isn't there? Lindsay, we've only got about a minute left, and I'm just looking for a prediction or two as we look down the road into 2021. What major changes are still to come or perhaps finish off in the year ahead? I hate the word that, that, that phrase, finish off, but I think you may be right. First big prediction, um, get ready for a possible third wave, especially in the United States. In Canada, it's high tide. In America, it's a tsunami, a serious one. Um, And that's going to have a secondary economic bump attached to it. Don't be looking for any real light at the end of the tunnel till those vaccinations really get out. And that is not going to be sterling till around, I would say now, June, July, August next year. And finally, at that point, you'll start to see some defensive measure against COVID. Only then. Are you going to see some stability in the economy? Yeah. Are you optimistic that we're going to at least come out of 2021 in a little better shape than we're going in? Hey, when you're in the bottom of the bucket, everywhere is up, right? <laughs> well, they, if, if, we, if that's where we are, then okay. The rest of it is, can only be better. Lindsay, great to have you on the program. What a good way to start a new year. We appreciate the predictions always, and the attitude. I always like talking to you, Sterling. Take uh, care. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Happy New Year. Good morning. Happy New Year. Welcome back. Mike will be back on Monday. I'm Sterling Fox. And on this January 1st, we made it. Holy cow, have we had a year. And while typically on a January 1st, some of us, well, okay, lots of us, would be spending some time thinking about resolutions and how we might improve ourselves for the year to come after the year that we've just had. Where do you go? And then we saw this story in the Vancouver Sun the other day with this headline, New Year's Resolution Tips for 2021. Focus on getting to the end of COVID-19. They should be much shorter term than usual. It was an interesting article written by our our next guest, Dr. Catherine Arbuthnot, who is a professor of psychology at the University of Regina. And joining us now on the line, Dr. Arbuthnot, Catherine, good morning, Happy New Year, and welcome. Happy New Year to you. Thank you very much. This is an interesting article you've written, recognizing the reality that we've all faced for quite some time and suggesting that in the in terms of making resolutions, we typically would think longer term, grand scale terms, some of us, but you're thinking this, this should be a, a reality check kind of New Year's resolution year, don't you think? Uh, absolutely. I think it's uh, difficult enough to get ourselves day-to-day, given the pandemic and the uncertainty. Well, let's talk a little bit about how that mindset will shape what we resolve to do to improve ourselves and our lives, because it it really has. A lot of us are thinking differently, Catherine. As we turn the page into a new year, our expectation levels, I would suspect, are quite low. 
well, they're different. I wouldn't necessarily say they're they're low. Um, uh, we now know viscerally in our own lives how much uncertainty um, there is. Mm-hmm. And so our usual way of saying, okay, well, I'm going to accomplish this by February and then this by April uh, doesn't seem really possible this year because we're not sure how things are going to unfold. Um, And uh, really, we've all been living in a, um, from a long-term perspective, unsustainable life for the last 10 months or so. Yes. And we have to sustain it for the next six to ten months. Um, And so I think that will take a lot of our attention, creativity, problem solving. And that's not necessarily a low aspiration. That can be a pretty high aspiration. Indeed it can, uh, simply because of the fact that uh, as we look at how, how we've come along so far, most of us are still, I would think, in reasonably decent shape. We have our moments, to be sure, but it's been very different for a very long time. And as you point out quite accurately, I think realistically, we're not going to be looking at any kind of mass vaccination reality, really, Dr. Arbuthnot, until Labor Day. And anything before yeah. that is just a bonus, don't you agree? I agree. Yeah, it'll it'll be a change um, that's slow, kind of a trickling change as opposed to the sudden change we all experienced last March, February, March. But in terms of resolutions, we still got to try and, and, and look on the bright side or the positive side in terms of getting through all of this. And that old positive mental attitude is there's a lot to be said for getting through a, a, a prolonged period of uncertainty and to a degree crisis. So what in, in terms of shaping those resolutions, where would you go? Well, one of the, one of the things I think almost everybody has um, done during the pandemic is we've learned some things about ourselves. Uh, We've learned, we've changed some things to kind of cope. We've, um, uh, uh, most of us have discovered to our surprise some things we really needed that we weren't even aware of. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we've managed to make it through um, pretty successfully uh, up to now. But the novelty's definitely worn off. So we're we're tired. We we want to. We can see the end, and we want to get to it as quickly as possible. So I think we just need to keep focusing on what have we learned about ourselves? What do we need? How do we keep ourselves as healthy as possible, physically, mentally, socially, um, until we get to the end when we can start to think about rebuilding our lives. Indeed. And, and, and you, you, you pose an interesting choice as, as going into this brand new year, still well, well ahead of any, any, anything resembling even a new normal. You ask people to think about, well, what do I want to keep from the lessons I've already learned from dealing with this? And what do I want to reclaim from my old self pre-pandemic? That's interesting stuff. Yeah, it is. And I, and I think... That the pandemic has kind of turned our spotlight on ourselves to to figure out uh, um, each individual will have somewhat different answers for that. Right. But it's about expressing who you are um, as best as possible. 
And so by way of making resolutions, of course, the that most people will say, oh, I don't make resolutions anymore because I, I, I have a terrible time actually following through. But there are there's a hardcore group of people that actually like to do this. They enjoy the opportunity to turn a page, to refresh. And, and uh, so those are the people that I think specifically will be uh, very focused on uh, going into this new year. Again, I suppose mostly because of what you've said several times already, the sheer uncertainty that surrounds so many of us. Right. Which which we can think of as a, an opportunity as well, um, that uh, because things are different, we, we have a chance to think about um, uh, when we get out of this, what are some of the things that we've discovered that we'd we'd really like the new normal to be better than the old normal. Sure. Um, so we've discovered one of the things I discovered is how uh, many of the people who are very kind of low paid, low status, are absolutely essential to the running of our societies. Right. The people who do the grocery stores, people who pick up our garbage, people who drive the buses, um, and so finding some other cultural way to value that more highly, since it is essential, um, might be an interesting thing for us to think about. How do we accomplish, Mm -hmm. for example? Right, and perhaps uh, finding ways to demonstrate a little more appreciation for all of those people along the way. Nothing wrong with a smile and a thank you, is there? That's right, and and, um, just not have them be invisible, know how important they are.